The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Here we go. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Refuge Church. Check, check, check. Check, check, check. <clears throat> Welcome back, Refuge Church. Uh, for you who were here last Sunday, you'll remember that we <clears throat> took some extra time to pray for the persecuted church around the world. Uh, today, November 6th, is actually, um, it, uh, who knows who decides these things, but is the International Day of Prayer remembering the persecuted church, and we just had more time last week to, to focus on that, so we took advantage of that. But this week, we want to join our brothers and sisters around the world uh, in praying for those who are persecuted. And to do that, Pam Morton, our dear friend Pam Morton, is going to come up and share a prayer for the persecuted church. So please join us. Thank you. Good morning. Hmm, it's bright up here. <laughs> So I was reading on the internet about this a little bit, and I learned that the color, color of the day is red. And I thought about that. There was no explanation. But it occurred to me that it's the, the blood of the saints mingled with the blood of Jesus. It makes it pretty touching. So I looked through my closet, and I saw, found this old, old scarf. But it, it just reminded me of the church worldwide, that where every different color creed, background, rich and poor, um, black and white, coming from different religions, but we're all woven into a tapestry of love. It's really special. And I hope you'll join with me in identifying with the persecuted church because it isn't them versus us. It's, it could happen here and they can come into times of not being persecuted. It, it moves around. But the thing that gives me real hope is watching the missionaries were so upset when they had to leave China way back when, and the church actually grew. When, they, when, church, when China opened up again and they could enter, re-enter, they found more having faith. So that's our hope as we pray. Will you join me? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our most holy faith, as Jude says, in our Lord Jesus Christ, who has reached out and chosen us to be part of his kingdom. And for many around the world who have chosen to worship you, like us, depending on your word to inspire us and your spirit to guide us. We stand with the persecuted church today. We ask that you comfort them and that you protect their thoughts that they would really know you are with them, that you keep them in peace, that they hear your encouragement and take joy as you turn their fear into greater faith and give them wisdom in the midst of their troubles to know which way to go. We pray for great discernment to know when to be quiet and find protection in hiding and when to take courage and speak boldly and declare our story in Jesus. We ask you to protect 
Give great wisdom to hear your voice, whether to stay or leave, to make them invisible to their persecutors. Give them ways of escape. We ask you to provide Bibles and Christian fellowship for their soul's encouragement. And we pray for physical needs of every kind and friends along the way. I thank you for the dreams and visions through which you have revealed yourself among many Muslims. And we thank you for reaching out to so many through radio and internet broadcasts and ask that you bless these faithful ministries to the lost and to the persecuted church. I thank you for their faithful witness and ask that you give ears to the hearers that more might receive faith and these ministries be fruitful and have all the provision they need to accomplish their task. We want to bless the persecutors who stand in such darkness and hatred who are afraid of your light that they, like Paul of Tarsus, would be stunned by the courage and boldness of those faithfully witnessing saints who with great courage speak out and give witness to your reality. We pray that you would bless these persecutors with faith to bend the knee to our Holy Father till there is unity in the earth under his loving rule. And Lord, history tells us that persecution helps the church to grow as it clarifies light from darkness. Our flesh quakes, yet we long for revival here as is happening in many other nations. So Lord, we stand straight up before you and ask for revival here. And I pray especially that you would prepare us to be faithful regardless of the cost. I wanted to close with Jesus' final prayer from John 17. His heart was that we would be unified, that we would grow in our understanding of the worldwide church as one body, his body. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and I are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I give them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity then, then the world will know that you sent me and, has loved, and have loved them even as you have loved me. He has such a heart for us to step up into this great expectation that he has of us. I want to invite you to join some of us who are committed to learning to pray for nations. That's the name of our group. And we're learning about peoples and far-flung places about their nations and their struggles, and, and it's really an exciting time. So we invite you to join us once a month. And I also want to just make you aware that there are materials in the back that you could pick up and take home to continue praying with the persecuted church. Thank you. Thank you.
give you a couple minutes just to prepare your heart for the hearing of the word of God. Uh, Something Pam mentioned uh, in in her prayer fits really well with what we're looking at in 1 Peter 3 today that invites us to bless those who do evil to us, which seems like not just a wrong thing to say, but an impossible thing to say, but it is the word of God for us. And so maybe as you're spending time preparing your heart to receive the word of God, God might be bringing to mind somebody that maybe the rest of the time together, you're just going to be praying for God bless them, somebody who you've felt against or animosity with, and just asking God, how do I, how do I be a blessing to them instead of seeing them as my enemy? So uh, take some time to pray, and then we'll get into the word of God together. God, we're told that when you came, even though you were King of kings and Lord of lords, you allowed yourself to be insulted. You allowed yourself to be crucified. When you were slapped, you turned the other cheek. In the midst of your Brutal death, you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. God, forgive us for our little offenses, the way we are so easily offended. And teach us your way, the way of so understanding and clinging to the living hope, so being the living stones built up as a church of Jesus that we are able to bless those who hurt us or persecute us or say wrong about us. Um, We can bless them because we're your people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you've been with us for a couple months, you will remember that probably about three months ago or so, we started a series called Peter, Flawed and Faithful. And that was looking at the life of Peter who... um, it was kind of fun to walk through his story because most of his story was flaws. And <clears throat> we know that while they were writing the Bible, Peter probably had every opportunity to tell them not to include parts of his story. And yet he wanted his flaws on full display so he could show how faithful God was to him. Amazing. So now we, we've walked from that into the sermon series on First Peter called Faith in Troubling Times. And what we see is someone who was so flawed, learn to be faithful, and then pass on and give that encouragement to a church who is struggling to be faithful while they are experiencing persecution. So our sermon intro reads this way. Are you troubled by what you see happening in the world today? In this sermon series, we will read Peter's letters to churches who are also living in troubling times. In his letters, we read words like grief, suffering, and anxiety. 
Peter is writing to people who are struggling to live by faith in a world that seems to be falling apart. Listen and discover how Jesus is a living hope for those living in troubling times. How Jesus is a living hope for people living in troubling times. Do you guys have a language for hope? If someone asked you, why are you hopeful? Do you have a language for that? When I thought about that question, I thought of how in spring of 2019, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, we quickly learned a new language, and that was the language of cancer. We learned that you don't look for the cancer wing of a hospital is the oncology department. Uh, We learned to spell words like mesothelioma, and we learned what it meant when cancer metastasized. It's all these words that you had no idea what were before, but now when you have to grapple with what palliative care is, you learn really quickly what that is, what that means when the doctors tell you it's time to move into palliative care. A language we didn't have before, but we gained because we wanted to understand what was being told to us. There was another language that was also spoken at the hospital. And it was a language that was spoken by certain nurses and doctors who learned that my dad was the one who founded Coffee Oasis, that my dad was a pastor. And this language spoken by those nurses and doctors was a language that many in the hospital and many at the different doctors' clinics we went to didn't speak, but a few of them did, and that was the language of hope. That was the language of I know you believe, and so can I pray for you? I know you believe in Jesus, so can I share with you what God's been teaching me? It was, it was the second language. The first language was this language of despair, palliative care. That means we're just, we're just trying to make you comfortable while the end comes. But this language that even Dr. Matthews, we came to love, uh, Dr. Matthews, who oftentimes would bring us what the world would just see is the only bad news would also come with this language of hope. Dave, I know as I share this with you, I know you know where you're going. A beautiful language of hope. We are not those that despair. That is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. We do not mourn as those without hope. 1 Peter 1, we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 2 Corinthians 4, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And that is this other language that a few people spoke to us. Do you have this language of hope in a world that is so troubled? Do you have that language of hope or Does the first thing that come out of your heart, a language of despair, a language of anger, a language of violence? What language do you speak in these troubling times? Now, it's possible that you have a mix of these things come out of you. (laughs) We didn't always respond immediately with hope when we heard the bad news, but like it says in Hebrews 6, our souls, our hearts, were anchored to hope. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us are greatly encouraged. We have this hope 
as an anchor for our soul. So what happens, what that looks like is you get the bad news, you get the troubling news, and like any boat that's anchored, you start drifting a little bit, and then you get yanked back by the anchor, you get held firm by that anchor. We had that anchor for our souls, which was our living hope. Do you have that living hope? The question of today is, do people ask you about that living hope? Not only do you have it, but do people inquire about it because it's coming out of you? It's in the language you speak. It's in the way you live. Because the truth is, if you have that hope, it shines brightly in troubling times. It is a hope that Dark times doesn't diminish, but it just shines all the brighter in. And, and that is exactly what Peter is writing into when he writes to people in Pontus, Galatia, Bithynia, and all over this world of Turkey as we know it today. He's writing to people who are living under Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero, in a couple of years, as I said a couple weeks ago, he, he would, two years from the writing of this letter, he would burn down three quarters of Rome while some say he was fiddling, right? He was this, literally this crazy man. He would burn down half of his city and then he would blame it on the Christians and then the Christians would get put to death because of this, this accusation. Nero. He's writing to these people who are living under the reign of Nero, writing not for them to build fallout shelters, right? Not for them to escape to somewhere else, but he's writing to them so they can be encouraged. Hope in troubling times. Do people ask you about hope? And is your hope shining bright in these troubling times? I'm just going to catch us up to where we are today in 1 Peter 3. Two weeks ago, we looked at this living hope we have, and you'll find that in 1 Peter 1. Starting in uh, verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in these last times. We have a living hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He's writing them just reminding, you might be experiencing a lot of things now, you might be experiencing a lot of things coming up, but you have a living hope held in heaven for you, a hope, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And then chapter two, we looked at, we are a living people. Literally the words that are used, he says, you are a special possession of God. You don't just have a living hope, right? For the Christians, we talked about this. It isn't you were born, you pay taxes, you die. For the Christian, it is born, reborn into a living hope, into eternal life. Dramatically different way to look at the world, right? Born, reborn into a living hope, and then eternal life, a never-ending life. That is our living hope. The living people we get to be in this is a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possessions, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's some good stuff. <laughs> At our community group, we literally, the question we asked was, what, what would it look like if we went around 
embracing the fact that we were a royal priesthood, God's special possession. What would that look like? And it was just fun watching the expressions on my face probably and everybody else's faces. We were like, wow, what, <laughs> what was going through our minds as we walked through our communities was, I'm God's special possession. Who are you? Well, good to meet you. I'm Daniel. I'm God's special possession. It sounds prideful. It's not. It's the truth. God thinks about you affectionately. There's royal priesthood. Literally, he's, he's put you in your communities so you can help people connect with God. That's what it means. Here's royal priesthood. That's your identity. You have this living hope and your living stones built into a home of God that is God's special possession. Wow. So following that, Peter, like most of the letters written by Paul and Peter, he immediately jumps into practical application. And he says, as foreigners and exiles, this is chapter 2, verse 11, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he says, you know, I know that you, this isn't your home, no matter where you are on planet earth, you're going to feel like a foreigner. You're going to feel like an outsider. I want you to live such good lives because you have a living hope and because you're God's special possession. Live such good lives that people, even though they might accuse you of doing things, they're just amazed by the way you're living. And you can do that. Why? Because you have a living hope and you are God's special possession. And then he goes and he details four of the most difficult relationships he can think of. And the first is the relationship between them and the emperor, them and the political authorities. He goes, I want you to act such, give such good testimony by the way you live, by the way you respect even Nero, that people are amazed that you have a living hope. And the second relationship was slaves. Some have, have uh, I suppose that... Um, up to 40% or more of the Roman Empire was slaves. This is a huge population of people, and a lot of the slaves are coming to know Jesus because they're finding, even though I'm in chains, still my soul can be free. And so the second relationship he talks about is slaves and masters. Live such good lives that even if you're a slave, that your master will go, man, God must be amazing because you're living as if you were free, <laughs> even though you're still a slave. So emperor, slave, and then the next two relationships are kind of funny. The next two most challenging relationships he could imagine people having was wives' relationship with their husbands and husbands' relationships with their wives. He's like, <laughs> isn't that funny? Emperor, slave, wives' relationship with their husbands, husbands' relationship with their wives. And he details what this looks like. And the relationship, and you can read it, the relationship of wives with their husbands, he goes, a lot of, a lot of these wives were coming to know Jesus, and they were, they were wondering, what does that freedom look like while I'm married to someone who isn't a believer? In the same way, slaves were going, I'm coming to know Jesus, and yet I'm still a slave. What does that mean? And so these challenging relationships, and then the last relationship is husbands and the way they treat their wives. And it's so interesting. Literally at the very end of it, it says, if you don't treat them well, your relationship with God will be distanced. He said that if you treat them unwell, your prayers will be hindered. That was my wife. (laughs) You don't want your prayers to be hindered, right? (laughs) These four relationships. And what they then go into is just 
this what, what kind of gives the, the guide for all of our relationships, and that starts in verse 8. And this is where we're going to pick up. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate, and humble. And what, what he's literally, each of these relationships saying is the people of God, what you share together is this. You're sharing a perspective, being like-minded. Our perspective that we share is what? We have a living hope and we are living stones being built up into the dwelling place of God. Be sympathetic. Literally, share our feelings with one another. Some people that comes easy, some people that comes hard. <laughs> share your feelings with one another. This isn't a place to come and just say, I'm okay. If you're wrestling with something, you should be able to share that with the person that's next to you. Love one another. This literally means share friendship or share as if you're family together. Be compassionate. Share suffering with one another. If someone is going through something, go through that something with them. And be humble, literally serving one another, treating one another, it says in Philippians 2, as better than yourselves. And then it gets real practical. Those things all sound nice. And then he hits you with this in verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because this you, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. There are so many blessings that God is making available to us that we will not receive or understand if we keep attacking the people that attack us. If the people that are practicing evil, if we plot how to be evil in response to them, we're not going to understand the blessings of God who did not treat us in that way, but treated us graciously. I was reading one commentary and he said, if we repay good with evil, who does that? That's what Satan does. If we repay evil with evil, that's on our level. We can do that, right? We can manage eye for eye and tooth for tooth or evil for evil. But if we repay evil with blessing, that's what God's doing, right? And so oftentimes we stay in the man, you did something good to me, but I'm still going to try to take advantage of the situation, Right? We can manage that. Satan can manage that. Repaying evil with evil, I think we can manage that. We can plot that in our heads. Probably a lot of us spend time doing that. We daydream about that. <laughs> but when people do wrong to us and we start thinking, how do I be a blessing? How do I show them the goodness of God? That's when we start getting the heart of God. When we start plotting how we can be gracious to others, forgiving others, that's when we start getting a glimpse of God's plot of salvation. He planned the sending of his own son so we could be forgiven. That's a God way of thinking. He goes and he kind of like, I love these parts in the Bible where he, he then kind of goes into song. That's literally Psalm 34. He, he explains, the, and then to, to describe it, my guess is this is, as they use probably the, the Psalms as kind of the songbook of the early church, he just started singing or writing a song that was familiar to them. And then in verse 13, he picks up saying, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And then this is going to be the meat of what we're looking at here in verse 15. 
But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Let me just read that again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The movement into verse 15 there is this quote from Isaiah 8. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. What he's quoting here is, is uh, a king of Israel was trying to hold out and be strong. And yet the Assyrian army was threatening to take him over. Instead of trusting God, instead of revering God, what he does is he makes an alliance with the Assyrian army. So that's what it's referencing here. You are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But revere Christ as Lord. He said, you might come into troubling times, but don't revert back to your instinct of how to solve this problem. Right? It's like going back to, don't repay, don't go back to the level of evil for evil, eye to eye, tooth for tooth. That's not what you're called to as God's people. What is the antidote? What is the opposite of simply repaying evil for evil, or living a life of fear and anxiety? And the answer is this. It is revering God. Literally the word there is set apart your heart for Jesus. If your heart is so full of Jesus, there's not going to be room for anything else. Revere Christ in your heart. Don't be troubled. Do not fear. Have only room for Jesus in your heart. That's what he's saying here. And if that happens, that by necessity will transform your life so people will start wondering what is different about you. When the diagnosis comes or when the bad news comes or the headlines of the newspaper say this or that, if there is reverence in your heart for Christ above all things, if your soul is anchored to Jesus what you're going to be pulled back towards is this. My living hope. I'm going to be pulled back to, I'm God's special possession. There might be moments, there might be even what feels like, I love that song that talks about waiting because it might feel like a long moment when we're waiting for that anchor in our soul to get taught again so we're getting pulled back to this place where it is Christ alone. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. We're anchored to that ultimate hope. The alternative to fear is this. Revere Christ. Set apart your heart for him alone. If Jesus is supreme in your heart, there won't be that room for doing anything else. You're going to be pulled back to that. Act and think in this way. Now, I can't help but think that for Peter... Two stories came to mind in his life that describe both when he was not ready to give a response for the hope that was in him and a time that he was ready to give a response for the hope that's in him. The first you'll probably remember because we preached on it probably six weeks ago, and that was when Peter denied Jesus. In Matthew 26, you have Peter who's 
who's been kind of uh, Jesus' hype man, right? Like any situation Jesus gets in, Peter tries to navigate, so he's kind of you know, managing the situation. And he gets to a situation which he cannot manage. This is Matthew uh, 26, uh, starting in verse 69. And he, he comes to the courtyard of the place where Jesus is put on trial. And multiple times he's asked, didn't I see you with Jesus? And he says, I think you got the wrong guy. He starts warming himself again by the fire. I, I swear, I, I, I recognize you. You look like someone who was with Jesus. And he starts getting more and more irate. I'm not the man. I'm not the man. When he was asked, have you been with Jesus? His response was an absolute no. What is that in contrast to 15, which he is now writing the church? Revere Jesus as Lord. When someone asks you about Jesus, be excited to tell them about Jesus. That's Matthew 15. That was not Peter, right? So if you're in the place where you're like, I'm not ready to respond to this, that was also Peter. This is good news because then we see Peter in Acts 4, and this is after what? After he's denied Jesus, wept bitterly, gone into hiding. Then they, they come and tell him Jesus is alive, and he runs. This big fisherman, he like runs to the tomb. Where is he? Right? And then Jesus restores him. This beautiful conversation. Do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Right? Do you love me? Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you. And this act of restoration gives, Jesus gives to Peter. And then we find him in Acts 4, literally leading the church by Jesus' power. And so we meet Peter again in Acts 4. And he is brought to testify before the whole Sanhedrin. And this is what they say about him. After he has said one of the most powerful statements ever spoken in history up to this point, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Talk about <laughs> this like powerful moment. And this is all they can say after they've heard Peter say these things. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Guys, this, this is 1 Peter 3.15. Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Literally, to defend before the Sanhedrin. To defend before anyone who asks you. Give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Are you ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you? Would anyone ask you, what is this difference I see in you? You were given this news, but you've responded in this way. This is what's happening in the world. And yet you seem, you seem to be anchored in something else because I don't see you troubled quite like everyone else is troubled. I don't see you despairing quite like everybody else is despairing. You see the world differently. What is your reason? Because I have a living hope. That was, that was Peter's reason. Jesus is alive. I spent a lot of my life studying apologetics, and I'm really grateful for it. I think that's very important. 
Um, All my time studying apologetics doesn't beat the simple statement, Jesus is alive. That's my reason. Jesus' resurrection means that my sins can be forgiven. Guys, there's statements that can be made simply because they are showing what anchors you in those troubling times that can't be made up for, for you describing why you believe God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them or you know, why this or why that or why there is a God versus no God at all. I think oftentimes people emphasize the reason and they forget the hope part. It's take, it takes the conversation a long way down the road if the conversation starts not with you giving a reason, but someone asking you, why are you so hopeful? Does that make sense to you? I think a lot of us, we kind of build out these scenarios of argument in our lives. We're <laughs> like, I'm going to come in, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, then I'm going to say this. Right? And I'm going to wrap it up with this, and they're just not, you know, they're not going to be able to respond to that. That, that. that can happen, and that can sometimes be effective. But what it's sharing here isn't that as much as it's live such good lives <laughs> that when people see how you're living, they're like, why are you living that way? And I tell my staff this at coffee all the time. I don't buy the whole preach the gospel all the times, use words only when necessary. I think words are always necessary because you need to be able to give a reason. The word there, literally, it's to give a reason or an answer for the hope that's in you. The, the word is to defend the word, logos, to give an apology, apologia, or defense for the word. Be prepared to give a defense full of reason. Man, this is, what Je- this is who Jesus is, and this is what Jesus has done in my life. Now, I think, don't worry, I'm about to wrap up here. I think a lot of people, um, we see a lot of um, religion we see in the world today uh, isn't ready to speak about Jesus and just clearly share his power because um, the hope that we have isn't the hope that we're relying on. Um, we saw this very early in the church also in 1 Corinthians 15. P- uh, Paul responds to it when he says, uh, if Jesus wasn't raised, we have no hope at all. If there was no resurrection from the dead, we have no hope at all. But a lot of the ways we live today and can gather as church or, or just practice religion doesn't have anything to do with Jesus as much as it has to do with us being comfortable gathering together or we like associating with these things or these good things more than these other things. Um, you know, it, it's kind of just become a business as usual. I'm different because, well, my, my friends and I have this better moral code than other people. And that's not it. If Jesus wasn't crucified, if Jesus wasn't raised, we have no hope at all. The ho- what transforms us is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And if we don't have that, we don't have any hope at all. And because of that, because of that fact of Jesus's death and resurrection, it is not a club. It's not wishful thinking. It is something that actually saves us. Why can you be hopeful when you get the diagnosis? Why can you be hopeful when you see the headline? Because Jesus is alive.
because Jesus did raise from the dead and Jesus loves me and has forgiven me. There's no indication anywhere in scripture that the experience of hope in the early church can't be the fullness of experience that we have today. What we see and admire so much in the book of Acts and we see and are inspired by so much in the writings of Paul and Peter and John, that is what we have available to us today, a living hope that is for a living church. Do people ask you about your hope? Does your hope shine brighter because these are troubling times? I hope it does. Pray with me. God, we we read the words of Peter, and they still feel like the they, they feel they read like the ink is still wet on the letter when he says, "We have this living hope." secure inheritance for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. (laughs) When he reminds these churches throughout Turkey that they're a special possession of God, when he tells them, if you act in these ways, if you honor those who are governing over you, if you honor those who have authority in your life, if you honor your husband and your wife, if you share hope with the church in this way, people will wonder what's different. And God, I, I can't help but but wonder how often we do look different, do represent this hope. Um, and how often we, we look into your word just for a word of encouragement um, and we, we aren't opening it to meet Jesus there again to hear his words and to obey them to live in obedience God I pray that you will um, help us read your word by faith and that we aren't just leaving the stories in the book of Acts and leaving these letters here, but, but we're receiving them going, God, use us in this way. God, that people would meet you and find that salvation is in no other name than the name of Jesus. God, we have a burden to, to share this world, to share this blessing with others. People at work, we're like dissatisfied until someone says, man, what makes you different? Like, like why, didn't you, why didn't you get mad with the rest of us about this? And we can point to Jesus. God, if we've made life, if we've made the gospel about anything other than the living hope that it is, other than Jesus, God, I pray that you will 
It will bring us back to anchor ourselves here. God, I pray it will be like a, like the prophet said, like a burning in our bones until we speak. It will be a discomfort in the way we live until we live in obedience to Jesus in this way. God, we want this so much. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, We invite you to take communion with us today. Uh, We remember every time we take communion that Jesus broke the bread and told them exactly what it meant. It was going to be his body broken for them. In the same way, taking the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you take this, do, do it in remembrance of me. So if you are not remembering Jesus... Don't take it. (laughs) This is for us literally remembering the living hope that Jesus is. So if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, we invite you just to to sit and listen. uh, Listen to him. Think of what we've just talked about. If you put your faith in Jesus, we invite you to take communion with us. Thanks.